0: Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 83 of The Storytellers with my guest today, Marta Kaufman. She's a writer, a producer, In truth, she's an American legend. She is probably most known for her work in creating and writing on Friends and for the recently concluded Netflix series, Grace and Frankie. But as you'll learn in this episode, she is so much more than those two amazing shows. Marta, welcome to the Storytellers. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I couldn't be more honored. When Amy Ferris put the two of us together, I'm gonna be totally transparent. I just fangirled all over the place. (laughs) To think that I would have the opportunity to have you and your breadth of work on this show is truly an honor. You know, I loved, loved friends. They were 15 years younger than me, but I was totally related to them. Grace and Frankie, both Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, 15 years older than me, but totally related. So tell me how you were able to create such relatable characters. You know, um, for me,
1: television is a very intimate experience. Um, You watch TV when you're home, in your pajamas, in your robe, you're folding laundry. Um, So it's intimate. And whereas movie is like a blind date, television is like a long-term relationship. And for me, I feel that they have to be characters that you'd want in your living room or your kitchen or your bedroom. They're people you want to hang with and talk to. Um, And I think even when those people have points of view that are different than ours, we love them. So we listen to them. Um, Yeah, that's, that's the hope. It doesn't always work, but that's the hope.
0: So well, I I, th- I love that you talked about that. You know, my father was an early television director. He brought Edward R. Murrow into people's living rooms every week. And so that analogy for me really resonates. You started out, and you and I have ve- vastly different careers, but you and I both started out as high school drama students. We both were directors. We both loved our town. So I loved that in my research. Tell me about how you get from there to being a producer. That sounds like a much bigger thing. Well, there are lots of steps along the way, but, but,
1: you know, you learn. Um, There are titles that go along with writer jobs. So there's a writer producer, and then there's the producers that do a lot of work with budget. Um, Budget is not my thing. Budget is not my thing. (laughs) Um, I don't even understand the programs they use for budget. Um, It's something I read and have input on. My thing is the creative producing. And when you love your characters and you know your characters, the creative producing is just one more element of how to imagine the character or where they live or what they would wear, Um, you know, what purse they would carry. And it's all about staying true to whatever the script or the show dictates.
0: So in the production process that you're involved in, I always think of the producer as kind of the puppet master god who gets to control many aspects of the show. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about what your role is in all of that? As a showrunner
1: and as a creator of the show, I did that with Howard J. Morris, we have the final word. Um, We collaborate with our other, the rest of our team. Um, You know, we talk to the costume designer about, um, you know, characters and what we imagine for them. We talk to the set designers and the um, production designers and the props people. And we, our input is, um, well, it has tentacles. The truth is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you hire people for a reason. So their input is also incredibly important. You know, so a costume designer has an idea. It may be completely different from mine, but it may be better. I think a good producer hears that and, and knows how to... Encourage the team that you pulled together. I think a producer also knows her crew. Um, and that's something you learn by being on the stage every day. And for me, these are all pieces of being a writer and then being a showrunner. The line producer and the producer who do all the um money stuff, um, they have an, they have a lot of suggestions, they keep us on budget, but don't have the final answer. Do you have a favorite sure. aspect of your job? Um, wow, that's an interesting question. There There is very little that I don't like about my job. I love being with the writers. I love collaborating with um, the heads of our departments and makeup and hair and our crew and our gaffer. I love that. Um, I don't always love notes, but they're very important and very useful. I guess the one scary thing, and I never love it beforehand, but I'm usually okay after is the table read. Tell seven me why you're. Tell me why that's not always comfortable. After seven seasons, I still got nervous because you don't know. You know, it's one thing in your head. We'll see what it is when other people say the words.
0: Isn't that the truth? I, I find that with beta readers. You know, I, I do a lot of coaching of writers. I've written several books, but that's always I. Re- I describe it as the most naked thing I do when I yeah. send my work out. So the table read for you is that experience.
1: Exactly.
0: What's it like for you to hear your words in other people's mouths and then on the screen? Um,
1: My favorite part of that, and it happens very, very, very often if if it's cast well, is when actors elevate the material, when they make it better than what you even thought it could be. and that happens very often when you have a good cast.
0: And and you have had obviously stellar, stellar casts. Extraordinary casts. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about being a woman in this work and a woman that is aging. I think we have all cringed and I don't wanna beat up poor Don Lemon over his women not in their prime anymore but I think we all cringed at that comment. And you and I are of that age, you're a few years younger than I am. Could you talk a little bit about growing up in this industry and what's it still like for women? Sure. Um, oh, I have a lot of stories
1: about that. You know- We're on, we're on the storytellers, you can go for Okay. It. When we were doing Friends, well, let me back up before then. I had, um, we, David Crane and I were writing a movie And there was a producer who was quite annoying, but we dealt with him. And he was in town and we were supposed to have breakfast, but I had to have what turned out to be a benign tumor removed from my breast. So I couldn't make the meeting. So David is sitting with the producer and the producer says about the script, you know, it needs more TNA. And then he said, by the way, where's Marta? And David said, she's having her tea operated on. Oh my goodness. Um, I've had directors on Friends who I'd be standing right next to, would look at me and then go, David Crane? The, oh my. The head of NBC, when we were doing the first, the pilot of Friends, Felt that Monica deserved what she got by sleeping with a man on the first date. Okay. Oh, there was fire coming out of my nose. And then not too long after that, I was interviewed by a journalist who asked me a question. And I said, I won't answer that on the record. And she said, okay, it's off the record. And it was about this same executive. And I basically said, you know, he came from sports and is not a feminist. I think I called him a misogynist. Well, she printed it and he was very upset. So I sent him a basket of things to help him get in touch with his feminine side. tampons, (laughs) tampons, pantyhose, <laughs> dry shampoo. I mean, you name it. I put a bunch of stuff in there. I love it. Um, and in response, he sent me a Harley, Le- Harley Davidson leather jacket. Perfect. But to get back to your question, yes. Um, even in the friend's room, there was misogyny that I had to curb. You know, it's systemic. I'd say at this point, partly because the industry has changed, not completely, but it's, it's evolving, um, I don't get too much of that anymore. Also, I'm more established, um, so I don't think that is in play as much as it was, but I hear stories all the time um,
0: that it isn't good enough. Well, and I want, I want to get us back to, it's not good enough in a minute, but I am both encouraged by what you say, uh, that it's not as um, prevalent perhaps, but I also think that, uh, part of what you're saying is the wisdom you have earned and gained in this industry. I, I find that very much for myself, uh, I feel, more, I feel more empowered, I feel smarter, I feel less of all the screwed up things that I did when I was younger. Uh, so I, I love being able to talk with um, my contemporaries like yourself um, and role models, quite honestly, um, but as as you are. And I wanna switch just for a minute to the things that I didn't know about you, which was the breadth of your work as a documentarian. I I want to know why you do it, but I also want to thank you for doing it, just going back to being a fangirl for a minute. For you to do Hannah Semish, for you to do Gloria Allred, such amazing works. Through your works, I then found out I didn't even know we had a National Women's Hall of Fame. So uh, tell me about Documentarian. Um, <clears throat> The first documentary I worked on
1: was um, Blessed is the Match, The Life and Death of Hannah Simisch. Um And I was asked to by friends who are documentarians. One of them was going to direct it. Um, they asked me to come on as a producer. And what I learned through the process of making that documentary was it's another way to tell a story. And story is my lifeblood. And it's an interesting way to tell a story and um, you have to think differently. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the process. I really enjoyed illuminating this human who was quite remarkable and wrote magnificent poetry. Um, And then when the Gloria all read possibility came up. I jumped at it because she's a hero of mine. Um, And she's from Philadelphia as I am. So, you know, we were neighbors. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it was an opportunity to do that in a more involved way. And we just loved it. We loved the process. We got to go to Sundance with it, um, which was a crazy experience. And we're in the in the process of developing three
0: more. How do you pick your people to focus on? Well, they're not all people. Okay.
1: Um, you no, know, two of them are about people. One of them is not. It's all about people. You're right. It's not always that the the person is the main character of the story. Um. You know, it's two things, three things. First of all, we have to be really excited about the topic. And what gets us excited is either um, someone whom you didn't know or is other and shining a light on that and exploring that and introducing an audience to them. Um, The other is a subject matter that speaks to us. And sometimes those two things converge. Like with Gloria Allred, it was a story about this amazing woman,
0: but it was really about activism. Women's rights, an amazing lawyer.
1: Yeah, incredible.
0: And for those people who don't know Hannah Semish, not only you mentioned her great poetry, but she was actually parachuted behind She participated in the only
1: attempt to rescue Jews behind the enemy line in Hungary. Well, anywhere, but this particular one was in Hungary. She was 19 or 20 years old when she did that. Um, And the main reason she did it was her mother was still in Hungary. They were captured, she was imprisoned. Her mother was arrested and they were in a prison across a courtyard from each other. So they couldn't speak, but they could see each other across the courtyard. And it was an amazing story about this woman and her bravery and her ultimate execution. Yes.
0: Thank you for bringing so many of these things to light. You know the storyteller's is very much about leaving their people who leave their mark on the world through the art of story. and you you talked about storytelling being your life, and we talked a little bit about how you know we learn as we go. You had a very interesting um, experience after uh, George Floyd's murder. And you made an amazing contribution to your alma mater, Brandeis University. Would you talk about that, please? Sure. And those, well, for many years,
1: I got to start with George Floyd. George, what happened to George Floyd and the aftermath shook me to my core shook me to my core. I always knew there was racism. I always said I wasn't a racist. And I I was at the same time, not an anti-racist, which is a term that I really learned about recently. People had been for a long time saying that there were no white people on Friends. I mean, there no Black people on Friends. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, what I said to myself was, well, it was a time when there were very few Black people. There were a million, Seinfeld was another show that was all white people. And as I thought about it, what I began to realize is that that wasn't about simply that's the way things were. And geez, I wish I, hindsight is 20 and I wish I knew then what I know now. What it indicated to me was that I had internalized systemic racism. Didn't realize it. Didn't realize it. And felt like I had a lot of that I needed to do something. I didn't know what. Um, Serendipitously, Brandeis reached out and they were looking for someone to um, donate for a chair in the African-American African and African-American Studies Department. And my desire to help because of my newfound knowledge and awareness, um, that this felt like something I could do um, that could have a real impact not only on many students, but also on those students who take what they
0: learn out into the world. It, it's a beautiful gift. And I, and I, I think that it's uh, certainly part of your legacy and part of your storytelling legacy. We are almost out of time. Are there any things that um, you're talking about? Three new? Are they three new documentaries? Is there another sitcom in you? What's next for Marta Kaufman?
1: Oh we are working um, we're developing three new documentaries. We are working on uh, half hours two half hour scripted shows. Um, we're constantly developing new stuff in earlier stages. So there's a lot. I'm not stopping. I'm not
0: tired. I'm not ready to stop. I, I love that. The tagline of my book is, when our stories are told, everything changes, and I always say, I am not done. So it is such a pleasure, Marta, to have you here. Uh, such an honor. Thanks for being with me here on Thank the story. Thanks so Talk. much. Those were great questions. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and Grace Salmon. Thank you for being with me. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.